Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. On the program today, AstraZeneca approved. The AstraZeneca vaccine and the Serum Institute of India's version sponsored by Verity Pharmaceuticals are the third and fourth COVID-19 vaccines to be authorized by Health Canada. Canada is now waiting for 20 million doses of AstraZeneca to come after Health Canada finally approves the new vaccine. How effective is it compared to other vaccines? How fast will the doses arrive? And is another vaccine on the horizon as well? We'll get all the information you need to know from the Health Canada Medical Advisor, Dr. Supriya Sharma, and then the Minister of Procurement, Anita Anand, joins us. Plus, military meltdown. It's clear that the Department of National Defence, the largest department in the Government of Canada, has an ongoing and serious problem that must be addressed. When there is a problem at the top of an organization, it is reasonable to suspect that there is a problem throughout. The uh, current Chief of Defence Staff choosing to step aside because of these allegations demonstrates uh, that the military uh, and that the government takes extremely seriously any allegations uh, of the sort. Why is Canada's top military leader, Admiral Art MacDonald, suddenly under investigation and stepping aside as the Chief of the Defence Staff after just two months on the job? Can the military really properly investigate itself? Who knew what, when? We'll talk to the Defence Minister, Harjit Sajjan. Plus, spring election? In a minority parliament, uh, the government doesn't have the sole power to decide when we go into an election. The opposition members have a role to play, both in providing confidence for the House, but also by being able to function appropriately to deliver the help to Canadians that Canadians so seriously need. With new vaccines arriving and a federal budget potentially weeks away, is the opposition preparing for a spring election? And what will their pitch be to Canadians? The Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole joins us on that and lots more. And then, are provinces actually ready for the sudden deluge of vaccines? Why are some so far behind? We'll take that to the scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Well, it's a vaccine game changer. The approval of the AstraZeneca vaccine by Health Canada on Friday means Canada's mass vaccination timeline just got a massive accelerator. Canada has ordered 20 million doses of the vaccine. It's a two-shot dose, and it does not need that same cold storage conditions as, say, the Pfizer vaccine, so it's more portable and more flexible. But it's also less effective. It's only 62% effective compared to about 94-95% effective for Moderna and Pfizer. Now, the AstraZeneca vaccine is already being used in the EU and the UK, among other countries, but there are some questions. Is it safe for people over the age of 65? Is it effective against the new variants? And how soon will the next vaccine be approved? I know people get impatient about that, so let's get some news on all this. Joining me now is Health Canada's Chief Medical Advisor, Dr. Supriya Sharma. Dr. Sharma, this is obviously great news. Uh, Canadians have been waiting for this. Some, though, are concerned that this is only 62% effective against, for example, the efficacy of Pfizer and Moderna, high 90s. Should people be concerned that maybe we've approved a worse vaccine? So, you know, I think, first of all, we, we need to talk about vaccines as being, you know, authorized or not yet authorized. So by the, by the fact that Health Canada has looked at it means that this vaccine has passed the, uh, the standards for safety and efficacy and quality and that overall the benefits outweigh the risk. 
what we know about the three vaccines that we have now authorized and the other two that we have under review is that when it comes to those really important measures, so does it prevent serious, severe COVID-19 illness? Does it prevent people getting hospitalized with COVID-19? Does it prevent people dying from COVID-19? Right. The answer for all of those vaccines based on the clinical trials is yes. So we've seen zero cases of those severe COVID-19 illnesses, hospitalizations, and deaths in those clinical trials in tens of thousands of people for, in, in, right. uh, in the people that, that got the vaccine. Okay, I just think this is really critical because people will ask, wait, I, I might want the, the Moderna or the Pfizer, not this. We do not want to contribute to vaccine hesitancy. You're saying, you get the AstraZeneca statistics show you're not going to die, you're not going to get a sick. It's, it's significantly better than waiting. Absolutely. So it's better than not being vaccinated. And to be honest, you know, we we really want to roll out vaccines um, as quickly as possible. You know, we have another options on the table now. And the idea is that, you know, get the vaccine that is offered to you. It will provide some protection. And then we actually don't know what's going to happen uh, a number of weeks down the road. When we look at AstraZeneca um, in the trials, the second dose was given between four weeks and 12 weeks after that first dose. Right. We saw trends to, sh to show that you know the later you get that towards the 12 weeks you might actually get a better response so my advice to people is that when it's your turn you know roll up your sleeve get the vaccine that's offered to you is this AstraZeneca safe against the variants I know South Africa doesn't want to use it because they're concerned it's not um, effective against the South African variant or is that a big concern for you so, you know, when we're talking about variants of concern, there are a number of different ones. And, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Viruses do mutate. We have seen variants. We will see more variants. So when we look at the data from the AstraZeneca vaccine, you know, a lot of the large uh, trials were done in the United Kingdom. So that variant, the one, the 117 variant that we've seen there, um, we know that this includes a lot of patients right. that probably would have had that variant. With respect to the South African variant, we still um, don't have uh, a lot of evidence. We have some information to show that there might be less efficacy in the lab, but we don't have a lot of good information from actual clinical trials uh, yet for AstraZeneca. One of the requirements that we put on the company with the authorization of AstraZeneca is that they continue to do studies and provide information around the effectiveness of their vaccines against any of the variants of concerns that we know about now and the ones mm. that we might see coming up in the future. So, so Dr. Sharma, France, Germany, Poland, Spain, they're only using it on people under the age of 65. I think Belgium and Italy are only under the age of 55. There's a concern it's not safe for people over the age of 65. Is it? So when we look at the clinical trials um, for AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, we did see that there weren't a lot of people 65 and over in the clinical trials. So when we look at the two big studies, um, thousands of people, there was only, uh, there was less than 10%, so about 9.7% of people that were 65 and over. So it's not that we think that there is a safety issue in that group or that we think that there might be, you know, it won't be as effective. It's just we don't have that information right. from clinical trials. What we do have is some information from, uh, from the UK where they've actually rolled out the vaccine to thousands of people, uh, the majority of, of whom were actually over 
uh, the age of 80. And in those groups, we have seen about an 84% effectiveness in preventing hospitalization and no new safety issues. So oh. that real world evidence, it's not exactly the same quality as the clinical trials, but it is showing that there right. is, you know, there's, we're starting to get some evidence in that age group. Health Canada is also reviewing the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that the U.S. is set to approve. I know we've just got the AstraZeneca approved, but you know how people are, they always want the next one. How close is, is the Johnson & Johnson, which is a one-dose product, another game changer, of course. How close is that to approval? So, you know, we, even though we're making one announcement today, we've got separate teams all working on other files and other vaccines. The two that we have under review uh, currently now are the Janssen, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as you mentioned, as well as the Novavax vaccine. So for the Johnson & Johnson, the Janssen vaccine, that review is progressing really well. It's coming, starting to come to those final stages, uh, but we still have some data to, to receive and, and to look at. I know, I know that this is tricky for you because people are saying, oh, it's days away, it's weeks away. The expectation game is painful, and I know there's a very important process. But once you're into these final stages, um, are you talking about within the next number of weeks so Canadians can say, okay, March looks pretty good for Johnson & Johnson's Janssen, uh, that we're in for days or weeks away here? Yeah, that's fair to say for Janssen & Janssen that we are, you know, weeks away, but uh, but within March, I think, is a very a reasonable expectation for that final decision. Of course, with all the caveats, Evan, of, of making sure that the, the data is there and we don't have any issues that come up. And then I was just going to say as well, with respect to Novavax, that um, there's a large phase three clinical trial that's ongoing for, with, uh, with the Novavax vaccine. We're expecting to ha have those results at the earliest sort of beginning of April. So that's still a little bit further away before we'll get sort of the big chunk of that clinical trial information for Novavax. All right, I gotta leave it there this morning, Dr. Spriya Sharma. Well, listen, great news, uh, AstraZeneca approval. I really appreciate you joining us and giving us the information about it. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, so now that the AstraZeneca vaccine has been approved, which is great news, when will you be able to get it? And now that Canada is expected to surpass its end of March target of 6 million vaccine, with the Prime Minister announcing an additional 500,000 on Friday, will this accelerate the federal government's timeline of every Canadian getting a shot by September? Let's find out. Joining us now is the Federal Procurement Minister, Anita Nan. Minister, uh, great news. I know a lot of work goes into this. Uh, when will this AstraZeneca vaccine, now it's been approved, when will it finally arrive in Canada and in what numbers? Well, thanks for having me on, Evan, and you are exactly right. This is wonderful news. First of all, we have the third vaccine candidate approved by Health Canada, being AstraZeneca, and we have a deal with the Serum Institute of India for the delivery of the AstraZeneca vaccine. In the coming days, we expect to see 500,000, uh, the first tranche of 500,000 doses coming into this uh, country, and we will continue to accelerate that number. Uh, over the next weeks and months and in particular we have two million doses in total coming from uh, India as part of our AstraZeneca batch of doses. That's in addition to the 20 million AstraZeneca doses that we have under contract. But, but, and which is great. Um, I just, there's a lot of numbers floating around, so I just want people, we've, people say, okay, didn't we order 20 million, but now we've got this batch from India. So the, the 20 million, are those, are those made in the States? And then you've got this 2 million from, from India. So 
you say the 500,000 from India are coming in the coming days, so maybe some this week. Uh, can you just give us the rollout when then the big tranche of the 20 million start arriving? Let me break it down for you, uh, Evan, and thanks for asking the question. So, as I said, it's a diversified portfolio of vaccines. We have ordered 44 million doses of Moderna, 40 million doses of Pfizer. Those would be arriving by the end of Q3. At the very latest, we'd have 84 million doses in this country. Now with AstraZeneca, we have 20 million more doses under contract with AstraZeneca, and then 2 million more doses of AstraZeneca via the Serum Institute of India. And so what you are seeing is millions of doses available for Canadians, and within the next weeks, 500,000 doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine will be arriving from India. Um, we are just finalizing those details now, but they will definitely be arriving prior to the end of March, and I'm very hopeful within the next days and weeks, and I'll provide that detail as soon as I have it. Look, you've taken a lot of heat, and your government takes a lot of heat, because you know Canadians watch U.S. television, and the U.S. is you know, vaccinating 1.5 million people a day. Uh, the UK is way faster. I know they're using, uh, and there's a real fear about the variants coming and that we're way behind. We're like 52nd in the world. Um, and so you face some legitimate criticism on procurement on that. Are we going to start, is Canada start going to move up that timeline now with the arrival of AstraZeneca and these doses? Are, are, are we going to climb up and start catching up? Well, of course, my focus is on procurement and procurement of vaccines for Canadians. And that's why we put in place our diversified portfolio to ensure the maximum number of doses delivered as early as possible for Canadians. And that's exactly what we will see over the coming weeks and months. Of course, for those watching the rankings, uh, I expect that we will be moving up. Uh, but again, we really have to be focused on the show here at home and ensuring that all Canadians who wish to have access access to a vaccine will indeed have access prior to the end of September, if not before. And that's exactly what we're working on every single day at procurement. Okay. Well, uh, maybe more news coming in March with Johnson Johnson, but AstraZeneca gets the approval. Uh, that's a game changer. Thanks, Minister. Always appreciate it. Thank you, Evan. Take care. Our country is extremely vulnerable to a third wave of COVID-19. Did the Prime Minister's slow approach on the vaccine rollout guarantee a third wave of COVID-19 for Canada? We've been delivering, uh, as scheduled, over 6 million doses by the end of the first quarter, 20 million doses into the spring, and everyone who wants a vaccine will be able to be vaccinated before the end of September. Back of the vaccine line, that was one of Aaron O'Toole's main criticisms for Prime Minister Trudeau as Canada dropped past 50th in the world in the vaccination race. But with the approval of AstraZeneca on Friday, the sudden deluge of vaccines, is all that changing? Is the criticism now blunted? Mr. O'Toole also recently put forward a motion calling Chinese, China's treatment of the Muslim minority Uyghur population a genocide. This got the support of all the opposition parties and also over 60 Liberal MPs, but the Prime Minister and most of his cabinet didn't even bother to show up for the debate. They keep saying they need to work more closely with the rest of the world on that issue. Is that a fair position 
or a moral failure. To talk about that and lots more, we are joined now by the Conservative Party leader of Canada, Aaron O'Toole. Mr. O'Toole, great to have you back on the program. i got to start with vaccines because obviously big news about AstraZeneca. You've long argued that Canada will not be able to meet the Prime Minister's vaccination targets. But with these new vaccinations uh, uh, coming, vaccines coming, more Moderna, more Pfizer, Canada's now, according to the government, on place to beat those targets. Were your criticisms misplaced? I actually hope the government meets its targets, Evan. We need people vaccinated so we can turn the corner on COVID and get our economy moving, reopen, unite families again. So I want them to succeed. When I said back of the line last fall, it's because they weren't releasing details on the contracts or the timelines. And we've seen throughout the last few months, we've trailed where other countries have been, and that's been disappointing. But we want them to succeed. AstraZeneca, that's good news. Uh, how they're going to deploy that, what age groups and these sorts of things. These are questions we have, but overall it's, it's good. We, we pushed him to call Prime Minister Modi, for example, to see if we could get some supplies from India. It looks like some of those vaccines will come from there. So that was the opposition doing our part to right. try and get a better result together. What would you be doing differently on the economic front? Because you've been asked before, you said, look, I support most of these programs. Um, you know, the NDP is asking for um, more paid sick leave. What would you be doing differently in terms of either the vaccine rollout and or the economic situation? Well, look, we've been two or three steps behind our G7 countries in every stage of this crisis, including rapid tests now vaccines. We're trying to push for better. The small business crisis is huge from coast to coast, Evan. I, I, I speak with chambers every day, literally. We need to do more there. We've said there should be a delay in, in harmful CRA audits. We've said the carbon tax should be taken off farming families. We oppose Mr. Trudeau's carbon tax. He now wants to triple it. We need to provide more certainty. We've tried to improve the rent program the government had. We finally, our advice was finally heated. So we need every sector to do well so the whole country can recover. We can't reimagine the economy as Mr. Trudeau wants to. We need everyone working in every part of the country right. and that will be my relentless focus. Canadians who are coming back to Canada now have to stay in these quarantine hotels. It's expensive. It's a couple thousand bucks for a three-day stay. There have been uh, screw-ups on the reservation system. Uh, the rollout has been anything but smooth. There's been some security concerns, but I'm trying to figure this out. Your party is now saying they should end these quarantine hotels after months and months of saying, have tougher measures at the border, stop people at the border, make sure you're testing people. They do it. It's not so smooth right now. Now you're saying, stop it. Pick a lane here. Which is it? Should they be doing those or not? They have to guarantee the safety of Canadians. These are meant to protect people, Evan. And the, the story of a sexual assault in one of them is horrific. And I want to see an approach to keep people safe. And we saw they didn't really even consider doing a supervised uh, process in, in someone's home as opposed to forcing them into a hotel. People can't even make reservations. There's more than a day's wait. This government can't run a hotline, for goodness sake. So Australia countries, other countries that did this months ago, the government didn't learn the lessons there either. So. As I said, I, I want the government to be doing better. They always seem to be about two or three steps behind, and we have a prime minister that is there for the photo ops, but not for the follow-ups and for accountability. You had a motion calling China's treatment of the Uyghur minority, the Muslim minority population in Western China, a genocide. It got unanimous support. It also, part of that was to relocate the 2022 Beijing Olympic Games. Um, the prime minister didn't show up to that. Um, but let me ask you, if you believe that China 
is committing a genocide. Is boycott or moving the Olympics, sir, enough? Are you willing to take further steps, for example, stop selling Canadian oil or agricultural goods to China? What, what, what is acceptable to do with a country that is committing a genocide? Well, first, I want to thank the MPs, including many Liberal MPs who voted on our motion. I, it was the right thing to do, standing for human rights. I was disappointed that Mr. Trudeau and most of his cabinet didn't even show up. What we need to do now is work with more allies to have this widely recognized. The evidence is overwhelming, Evan. We can't turn a blind eye. We should also look at, at tracing and, and banning any goods manufactured from that part of China because we can't allow uh, slave labor conditions or forced labor conditions uh, to allow pe things to be sold in, in Canada. I also think we should look at uh, McDinsky sanctions, a range of issues where we can apply pressure. And Mr. Trudeau saying he wants to work with allies, but he is not prepared to call it a genocide. The Canadian military, sir, is reeling. You're a veteran. Last week, the newly minted chief of the defense staff, Admiral McDonald, abruptly stepped aside after only two months on the job. The government won't say why. They only confirmed he's being investigated. The former chief of the defense staff, General Jonathan Vance, subject of a House of Commons committee probe over allegations. He engaged in inappropriate sexual relationship with an officer under his command. He denies that. What needs to happen here? What are your questions about the absolute mess at the very top of the Canadian military? We need swift action, Evan, and I've said we need an independent investigation. We can't, we have to take it out of the chain of command. It is unprecedented. Two chiefs of defense staff in the last few months have been under most serious allegations. We need to put a freeze on promotions and pay increases to general and flag officers and send a signal, particularly to women, that you can serve your country with honor and free from harassment and disrespect. I, as a veteran, I'm proud of the Canadian Armed Forces and I want it to be that beacon for everyone. So this is serious. Uh, these are measures I've pushed for. The Canadian Armed Forces uh, needs to be a place for all Canadians right. to feel they can put their country first. So we need swift action. There's a chance there's a spring election, right? It's a minority government. The, the Liberals are going to finally get a budget after almost two years. Um, but Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP, has said, I will not have a spring election, so I won't vote against the budget. Uh, are you prepared to have a spring election? Would you be prepared to vote against a budget that could bring down the government? I think Jagmeet's smart. We need vaccines before we need a vote. I've been saying this for, for some time as well. We've seen from Newfoundland and Labrador, Evan, when a Liberal government tries to take advantage of some timing with an election and it turns into to turmoil. We need vaccines and arms. I want the government to succeed, as I've said, so that we can tackle the rebuilding and the economic issues after. Yes. We have to get the country vaccinated before we're worried about votes. And I would hope that Mr. Trudeau sees that the health and well-being of, of the population comes before the health of the Liberal Party. All right, I got to leave it there this morning. Great to have you back on the program, sir. Thank you, Aaron O'Toole. Thank you, Evan. To have these types of uh, allegations come forward after the fact, during their tenure, just points to, to, to the reality of uh, a vetting process that's broken. And so, again, everything's on the table, including how we select the chief of defense staff and ensure that they are the right person for the job.
The Canadian military is in chaos. One former senior general I spoke to said, quote, the institution is starting to shake, and it's no wonder. Last week, the newly minted chief of the defense staff, Admiral Art McDonald, abruptly stepped aside after about two months on the job. The government won't say why, except to confirm he's being investigated. This comes as the former chief of the defense staff, General Jonathan Vance, is the subject of a House of Commons committee probe over allegations he engaged in an inappropriate sexual relationship with an officer under his command allegations he denies. Now remember, General Vance launched and oversaw Operation Honor, the initiative meant to crack down on sexual misconduct in the military. So what's happening inside the military? Why was the new CDS not properly vetted? Should there be a fully independent investigation now? Let's find out. Joining me now is Canada's Minister of Defense and a veteran, uh, Harjit Sajid. Minister, good to have you on the program. Um, people want to know, not the details to jeopardize the investigation, but what are the nature of the allegations against the Admiral uh, Art McDonald? What's the nature of the allegations? Evan, of course, Canadians deserve to know. And every, we all have questions on this, but unfortunately, um, I cannot answer those questions for a simple reason. It will actually interfere uh, in the investigation itself. It is so important to protect the integrity of the investigation, but nonetheless, we will get to the bottom of things and we will have those answers. And, and sadly, you know, we have to be patient uh, for this because we do all have an independent process in this, just like in any other type of regular police force um, um, has. And then there's a process but, that, that we follow, and we will get those answers. But, but Minister, um, I've spoken to a former Attorney General and a number of lawyers, uh, military lawyers, they say there's literally no legal reason why you cannot at least disclose the general nature of the allegations, um, what they pertain to. That would not jeopardize the investigation at all. Why can't you at least share that? I, no one can seem to find a legal reason why you can't do that. Actually, Evan, it's really important here. One is um, how seriously we, we take things, the, any type of allegations. And when allegations are brought forward, we take the very strong and quick action on this. But when it comes to providing that information, I actually don't have the authority um, to be able to provide that information. But a lot of people are trying to figure out when allegations were made against the former chief of the defense staff, General Vance, by Major Brennan on Global News Network, the military literally gave her a green light to speak publicly. So how can the military give the green light to make allegations against one CDS and we can't even find out what the other allegations are against another CDS? I don't have the authority okay. to be able to just give that information out. but. It is so important, uh, Evan, to protect the integrity of the investigation because ultimately this is about protecting the people who are, who are finally coming forward to making sure that their allegations, when they come forward by their own choice, that they're able to share them freely and that things are taken seriously, they're investigated, and then if it does come to any type of uh, court action, that the proper justice can, can uh, be done. I agree. There's a balancing need of transparency when two former chiefs of the defense staff are under some kind of allegation. But now you're, the opposition is asking questions about you. Uh, when were you, let's specifically talk about Admiral Art McDonald. Um, yeah. When were you specifically made aware of allegations against the new CDS who had not even been on the job barely two months? Um, I learned of them um, um, uh, recently, and and as 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 was stated before, uh, Admiral McDonald once the, it was learned that the CFNNIS investigation was conduct uh, was launched, he was informed of it. He stepped he stepped aside, and that's the action that we have been taking. And that's what I'm, we're trying to emphasize here. When we learn of something. 
we take immediate and strong action. But it was definitely, it was after the uh, change of command. And we obviously, because we're talking about um, the, the most highest level uh, of, of the position in the military, Canadians want rightfully uh, and expect answers. And we are going to get to the bottom of this. This is why we're going to be conducting an independent investigation that's not going to, it's not part of the criminal investigation to get to the bottom of this. And it'll be independent of the chain of command so that we can get, uh, have those answers for Canadians, right. but more importantly, for all the Canadian Armed Forces members, for some of them who, who are actually, um, who are finally coming forward. So, but sir, you, you keep saying it's an independent investigation, but the military is essentially investigating itself and its two highest members, you know, uh, General Vance and no, Admiral. No, no, Admiral, no actually. But hold, hold, hold no, on a second. Remember, the, the investigators report to the VCDS, the vice chief of the defense staff, whose office is like down the hall from the chief. Don't you think, like was the case in the governor general, there should be a truly independent investigator, not part of the military, to investigate the two highest ranking members of the military? So what I'll say here is this. First of all, so the military police does report to the Vice Chief of Defense Staff, but CFNIS does not. They're actually independent of the chain of command when it comes to investigations. Having said this, I will be reviewing um, all these uh, the, the independence of things to see what the process is. In fact, actually, right now, we have an independent military justice review currently ongoing with Justice Fish as well. Plus, let's not also forget, we have the independent military police complaints commission as well. So we will be taking a look at all those things. Everything is currently on the table, but I do want to set the record straight. Yes, the military police is under the vice chief of defense staff, right. but CFINS does not report to the chain of command when it comes to investigation. But the, okay, and I, I'll be clear that the military police are part of the investigation, but you say you will then also oversee that, but sir, the opposition has made allegations, uh, questions about what you knew and when about the allegations against the former CDS General Vance. They're alleging, after Global News first reported it, that you had warnings two to three years ago from the former ombudsman. I've asked you about this before. So first of all, were you aware of that? And if you can't answer these questions, and because they might be implicated in the investigation, how can you even be part of this or oversee this investigation? Evan, Evan, first of all, I am not part, when it comes to looking at the what happened, that's got nothing to do with the criminal investigation at all. It's to look at what has, has actually taken place. What I can tell you about General Vance's allegations there. All right, I got to leave it there, Mr. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you, Evan. The AstraZeneca news is absolutely great news today. It's a game changer. We need all the vaccines we can get. But adding a third uh, vaccine to our rollout plan uh, does and add uh, complexity. Well, the vaccine cavalry is finally coming. Health Canada has approved the AstraZeneca vaccine and the government has ordered from three different sources almost 24 million doses in total. And as we learned earlier in the program from Dr. Supriya Sharma from Health Canada, Canada could also approve the Johnson & Johnson vaccine in March. So the September timeline of every Canadian getting vaccinated is looking very much like it will be moved up. But are the provinces ready for the big deluge of vaccines? Can they handle the rollout? Why is there still so much confusion as to who gets it and where should you get it? The Scrum is going to talk about the politics of the vaccine rollout. Colin DeMello is the Queen's Park Bureau Chief for CTV News. He joins us this morning. So does Marika Walsh, a political reporter for the Globe and Mail in Ottawa. And our special guest this round is the family physician and assistant professor of medicine at Queen's University, Dr. Michelle Cohen. Good morning. 
uh, to everyone. Doc, let me just start with you, and thanks for your frontline work. Look, the vaccines are finally pouring in. Uh, in your province where you work in Ontario, people can't even book uh, an appointment on the so-called portal because it's not ready until mid-March. Well, people in Quebec, people in Alberta have are already doing that. Um, is there confusion, do you find, in the system in terms of uh, the ability to actually roll out all these vaccines that are finally arriving? It's extremely confusing. So people are calling our office on a daily basis now, or every time the government puts out a message about vaccinations, people are calling our office. Um, but in particular, when they're being assured on the news and on the radio and by press conferences that they're going to be able to book their vaccination with their family doctors, that there's a certain timeline that they're going to be vaccinated by by spring. Um, it's very confusing because we have no information to offer them. And that's pretty much true of family physicians across the province. We've not been informed of any plan. We've not been involved in any plan. And we are, we're, we're the place that people are, are going to come, are going to call when they're confused about the messaging um, because we do vaccinations all the time. We do flu shot campaigns every year. We do childhood vaccinations and other preventative health. So of course people are going to be contacting us to try to figure what's going on but the problem is we've been given zero information from the province so we have no information to hand out clearly something's not uh filtering down colin and now that you've got astrazeneca which by the way can be used in doctor's offices it doesn't need to be the uh in an office uh like a cold storage freezer what do you make of the rollout can can ontario as an example handle the big deluge yeah, they should be able to, but that being said, I mean, there's been a lot of confusion uh, so far in terms of how the rollout in this province is going to go. It's the same thing for a lot of provinces, right? Because they're still waiting for information, the people at home, for when they're going to be able to get their shot or when they're at least going to be able to sign up for those shots. Uh, but here in Ontario, at least with the AstraZeneca vaccine coming online, the feeling is they'll be able to do concurrent vaccines, those, you know, 60 to 80 plus those 60 and below at the same time and be able to take those vaccines to the doctor's offices as well. So they're hoping that that overall timeline will be able to be shortened now that AstraZeneca has come online. Okay, uh, Marika, let's get to the Fed, the politics of all this, which is your specialty. Um, the government has been hammered almost January and February, too little, you can't procure them. Now they're saying, okay, we're gonna beat the targets. The opposition said, you're never gonna beat the targets. How does that play out politically for the federal government and for the opposition? Well, we're seeing this pendulum swing, right? When, when the government's on the up and having a win, it's putting the pressure on the others and, and vice versa. So right now it looks like the momentum is swinging towards Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his government. But even his own ministers were saying, you know, they, they wouldn't say for sure that we will beat that September timeline. So they also are showing some caution, but they are clearly very optimistic with the news that was announced on Friday, and they're expecting more to come. Yeah, Doctor, you, you actually wrote an article saying confusion and the blame game. You know, the province is blaming the federal government, the federal government blaming the provinces, and everyone pointing their fingers. You argue it's actually a political strategy. Uh, what do you mean by that? So I think from on the perspective of the province, it is a political strategy to some extent. So when I say that, I don't mean that there's a sort of malicious plan, that they're in a back room, you know, rubbing their hands with glee, that they're confusing the public. But good messaging takes effort. It takes a lot of effort to put in to, to, to put out clear, consistent, concise messaging that the general public will understand, 
that will let people know exactly what's happening and what the framework is going forward. Um, and when the government doesn't put that effort in, I think what we need to question is what is the benefit to the government of confusing the public, of not putting effort into clear, consistent messaging? This government has put out a lot of contradictory statements since the pandemic began, and confusion just kind of seems to be the running theme of, of the pandemic response in Ontario. Now, there's another politics here, and there's going to be accountability call in on the strategy. Who gets the shot when? Um, and again, we Alberta, Quebec, and others are already inoculating general populations. Ontario's not. But there's also data on saying, uh, you know, racialized communities in Canada have been hit much harder than non-racialized communities. Uh, there's a really good data argument that those communities should be prioritized. Um, is there going to be a politics in terms of who gets the shot first and when? Well, I mean, that's going to be the bottom line. I mean, you know, largely over the last few months, I think those provinces that have been feeling the pressures of the pandemic tried to deflect a little bit, and they saw, uh, you know, a way to kind of deflect a little bit of blame to the Justin Trudeau government. But now, you know, some of them are looking like emperors without their clothes, right? Because simply because the vaccine is here. So that is going to be the bottom line for a lot of people at home. When can I get my vaccine? And frankly, across the country, not a lot of people have that answer right now. Yeah, and, and Marika, last word on this, that's going to be a ballot box question. Now, is there going to be a spring election? It's a minority government. There's a budget coming next month. Uh, but the federal government may be in a better position than they were a couple weeks ago in February where they're getting hammered. If in a month there's millions and millions of doses, does that change the equation of a potential spring election? If indeed, you know, you get AstraZeneca rolled in, you get Johnson & Johnson, does that change the equation for this government? It absolutely changes the equation, Evan, but for that equation to fully be confirmed for the side of the Liberal Party in Canada, Justin Trudeau needs Doug Ford to deliver those vaccines. Justin Trudeau needs Francois Legault to deliver those vaccines. I don't think they're going to want to go to the polls if all they can say is the vaccines are here, but they're not in your arms. They're, people are going to want more than that. As Colin pointed out, people are eager to know when they will get the shots, what shots will they get, and how it will happen. And that's the question that needs to be answered and made very clear. All right, I got to leave it there. Dr. Cohen, I thank you for your work and for joining us this morning. Colin DeMello as well. I know, Marika, you're going to stay for the next panel. There is clearly something wrong with the Liberal government's vetting process. There seems to be a pattern of behavior with the, the government's appointed positions, whether we're talking about the Governor General or uh, the Defence Chief. So the Canadian military is in a full-blown crisis, but it's one shrouded in secrecy and mystery. First, the former Chief of the Defence Staff, General Jonathan Vance, is the subject of a House of Commons committee probe over allegations he engaged in an inappropriate sexual relationship with an officer under his command. He denies the allegations. Now the man appointed to replace him just two months ago, Admiral Art MacDonald, he stepped aside. He's also under an investigation, but guess what? No one knows why. Why is there such a lack of transparency about what's going on inside the Canadian Armed Forces at the very highest levels? What does it say about how the government vetted these leaders? Who knew what, when? To dig into that and U.S.-Canadian relationships after the Biden-Trudeau meeting, the Scrum is back. Marika Walsh from the Globe and Mail is back. And joining us this round is CTV News Ottawa Bureau Chief Joyce Napier, of course. And our special guest is the former leader of the NDP and CTV political commentator Tom Mulcair. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Mr. Mulcair, you're a lawyer. Let me start with you. Any reason, Tom, why the Prime Minister 
And the Minister of Defence, who was just on this program, cannot tell any of us, cannot tell Canadians, why the Chief of the Defence Staff, Admiral MacDonald, is even under investigation. Would that really jeopardise a, 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 an investigation, just that level of knowledge? No, it wouldn't jeopardize the investigation. There's no legal reason that they're not giving us any information on this. But there are political reasons, because going back to the Vance case and others that we've had in recent times, we're wondering how much the Privy Council office, in other words, Mr. Trudeau's own ministry, knew about these cases and when did they know it. Mr. Trudeau, as far as I'm concerned, is clearly doing everything he can to clear the runway to prepare for an eventual spring election. This type of thing, they're just going to try to avoid getting into the weeds on it and tell people, no, it's it's a question of administrative fairness and natural law. We'll leave it like that. That's a lot of hokum. There's no reason that Canadians aren't allowed to know. Openness, transparency are the underpinnings of our judicial system. Yeah, and Joyce, there are questions about the independence of an investigation because, you know, some are saying, wait, how can the military essentially investigate itself when its two top leaders are un under some kind of investigation? Does an independent process need to be established? It would be better uh, to have an independent process investigating uh, these two uh, top soldiers. I mean, you've got the military police and, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Um, the case of Art McDonald remains a mystery for, and Tom is right, no apparent good reason. Uh, they say it's because uh, they don't want to affect the process. Well, you know, in the case of, Van of, of General Vance then, they gave um, his accuser a green light to speak uh, publicly about it. So, so on the one hand, you have a, a case of, of, of a general who has allegedly had a 20-year relationship with somebody working under his command and they allow uh, that person to go on the record publicly and speak as the general is under investigation right. and then you know the case of Art McDonald comes around and they don't even want to tell us why he's under investigation. We don't even know why this man stepped down only two months after he was appointed, and that's okay. I don't understand why that is okay. That's an ongoing story. Tom, let me turn to Canadian-U.S. Uh, relations after President Joe Biden had his first virtual bilateral meeting with Justin Trudeau and importantly included his team. So there's a lot of good in that, I'm sure. But look, there were questions. Will the U.S. after that give Canada access to the U.S. supply of vaccines? That didn't happen. Was there going to be a reversal of Keystone? That was not realistic, but it didn't happen. No exemption from the Buy American concern. So it was warm. It was fuzzy. It was cordial. How do you re how do you measure it? Any tangible results you see coming out of this meeting? Well, the tangible result is we're talking to a close member of our family on a cordial basis once again. And that's the good part of this. It was nice to see President Biden and Prime Minister Trudeau and their closest uh, collaborators around them talking openly and refreshingly about what we can do together, talking about the North American context. Your, your enumeration is completely right, but I do think that Mr. Biden is going to do one thing that's particularly good for future generations and Canada. He's going to force our hand, finally, on climate change because he's got a very clear plan and he's got no reason not to do it. He's not worried about his next election. He's going to join the Paris Accord and make sure that the United States meets all of its goals and targets. It's hard to overestimate having a close relationship with the U.S. president and Marika. It's also hard to overestimate having the teams there, which I hadn't seen before meeting at the same time, which is actually significant. So what do you think comes out of this in a substantial way in terms of U.S.-Canadian relationships, the border, vaccines, uh, the recovery, climate? There's a lot on the agenda. 
Yeah, there absolutely is. I think that the Biden administration in its first month has really showed Canada that it's still America first as the policy, but the Trudeau government stands to benefit in some ways with that policy, especially in the climate change field. And that's because one of the things that Justin Trudeau's government has pushed up against a lot as a criticism on climate change work is that it makes us uncompetitive with the U.S. And so if the U.S. is also moving in that direction, also putting same kind of costs on emissions, then that takes away an argument for the government also to move forward ahead. So I think that's what the government will be focusing on and highlighting, because I think the other thorny issues like the border, like vaccines, will remain, and same with Buy America. Okay, before I let you go, I'm just going to pick up on something what Tom said. He keeps, you have said this for a long time, that you keep thinking that Justin Trudeau's trolling for a spring election. I know there's a budget here, uh, but, you know, Jagmeet Singh told me, and I think he's told all of us, he is not going to um, vote down this budget. So how does that happen? But how do you get a spring election? Um, he walks out of Rideau Cottage, hops into his limo, goes over to the Supreme Court, asks Chief Justice Wagner for a writ. That's what he has to do. Don't, we don't need the three or four now opposition parties to defeat the government to get an election. Mr. Trudeau can go over any time. They're not going to ask another party to, to, to try wow. forming a government at this stage. Mr. Trudeau, in the past weeks, has taken care of language legislation, gun legislation, found an extra, specifically, 12 weeks of CERB benefits. Do the math. Look at what he's been doing. He, I'm not saying it's guaranteed that that's what he's going to do, but I can guarantee you that that's what he wants to do because he knows that it's only going to get more tight for him with regard to the Conservatives and Aaron O'Toole as time goes by. He'd love to go now if he could, but he can't decently, but maybe in 12 weeks he can. I'm on team prepare, don't predict, because I predict everything but the future, but that's Yogi Berra. Uh, Tom Mulcair, Joyce Napier, Marika Walsh. Uh, great to have you guys on a Sunday morning. I really appreciate it. And that is question period. Thanks all of you for joining us. Uh, always a little hope. I just want to say happy birthday to my eldest child, my daughter. It's a big one. 18. She's great. And thank you for joining us. We'll be back here in seven short days. I'll see you on Power Play tomorrow night at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel.